Once upon a time, in a land far away, I'm Katrina, and I'm Jeff, and welcome to the Fairy Tellers Podcast. Myth, legend, folklore, fable. We explore what they say about cultures then and now. Grab a hot cup of cocoa and a comfy seat while we retell you a thing. Welcome back to the podcast for our third anniversary episode. Yay! Which is crazy. It is crazy. I told my sister that I was getting ready for this episode and she was like, is it really Cinderella time of year again? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. It is. It's happened. It's happened again. I'm super excited that we've been doing this for three years. It doesn't feel like that much time, but that's what happens when you get old. Yeah. Time just marches on imperceptibly. Then you look back and you're like, dang. Closer and closer towards our inevitable end. Yeah. Not the inevitable end of the podcast. I mean our lives. But the podcast will continue on. The nice thing about time going by imperceptibly fast is that when we look back, we can say like, oh, dang, we've done 77 episodes. Yes. Which is a lot of episodes. No, especially when you consider that we've also done like a couple live events and bonus episodes. I think we've done almost 25 bonus episodes. Yeah. So we have crossed 100 episodes that we have done, yeah. but not the official episodes, which is crazy. It's That's so crazy. Wild. And we're also in the top 5% of podcasts in the world, which I never would have anticipated three years ago when we started. Yeah. That's crazy. That is crazy. (laughs) I recently re-listened to our proof of concept episode where we had created an episode to have like our family and friends listen to it to give us some honest feedback to (laughs) basically be like, is this good enough to do a podcast or are we delusional? And we were basically like, please be honest with us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because if we and do this were. and they were honest with us um i think about uh your dad's comment like all the time <laughs> which i don't think that we've uh taken into consideration he was like i feel like you guys interrupt the flow of the story too much uh talking and giggling about like other stuff but here's the thing he's not wrong he's not but wrong. also that's not like asking us to change something about the podcast to stop doing that. That's asking <laughs> us to change a fundamental part of who we are as individuals, which is much more difficult. Yeah. It's like, sorry, it's not going to happen. <laughs> but I think we have gotten better at different. The point is like he got confused about what is story and what is jokes and what is goofing. And we were yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do that as well for, I think we have improved Yeah, in being able to kind of like clearly show like, this is when we're telling the story. This is jokes about the story, like where we throw in stuff that's like not actually what happened in the story, but what we're just saying is a joke that happened. And then also our side commentary. I could be wrong, but I feel like we do a pretty decent job of separating those three things. What's funny is like, as I was listening to it, I was remembering how like nervous and awkward I felt talking into a a microphone to an imaginary audience of listeners. (laughs) And it's crazy because now like the audience, like, feels so real to me. We've talked to some of you on like Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon, and we've read your reviews and answered your questions and heard your suggestions. It's been like a wild ride. So thank you for everybody who's been supporting us and listening to us from the OGs to the people who have binged our content just in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. 
It's really scary to start a podcast because you have no idea if people are actually going to listen. And it's a really vulnerable thing to do. And so to anybody who's out there who uh, wants to create something but has been putting it off, do it. Be brave. We believe in you. This is what I would say. If it's something that you want to do because you enjoy doing it or think you'll enjoy doing it, absolutely do it because nothing is going to change your enjoyment of it. Katrina and I have said from the beginning, right, that even if no one was listening, we still would enjoy doing this because we just enjoy this process of like reading new stories, doing some research, talking to each other and joking about it. And the fact that we get a podcast that other people get to listen to at the end is like almost a byproduct, even though that is like the reason why we're doing this, the yeah. reason why we hit record. Like that is the, it is very satisfying to know that people listen, but like of all the other things, it's like, even without that, it's just such a good experience. So like go for it and enjoy that. And then your enjoyment, I think will shine through and people will feel how much you like it. And then they'll like it. And the people that like it will like it. And they'll be drawn to it. And the people that don't, who cares? And they'll, they won't be drawn to it. And that's fine. But you'll, you'll probably be surprised about what you can accomplish if you just do it. So thank you to everybody who has been listening to the podcast and cheering us on and interacting with us. It seriously, it has been an amazing experience. Cannot recommend it enough. So just some little announcements. Uh, September 30th, the live event where we will be retelling Aesop fables and discussing them with the audience that shows up for that. It is going to be 8.30 Eastern Daylight Time. We love getting to do these live events because it gives us a community to discuss the fables with, which is how they were yeah. supposed to be talked through. It's always so fun to be on the live because it's such a different dynamic. Like we sit down and talk to each other all the time yeah. like this. Even not like this, just in Marco Polo's where it's not even interactive. We just talk to our phones screens uh, about random things. But getting to have other people interject stuff that like we never would have thought of and then have that send us down some rabbit yes. hole is like so fun. That's my favorite part about it. So please get in that chat, interact and have a good time retelling Aesop fables with us. I absolutely love when somebody in like our international audience says something like, wow, in whatever country they're in, we have a similar saying that goes, and then they say like, you know, the saying, yeah. and we look at it and we're like, oh my gosh, I like that. Yeah, there are a few really good ones in our most recent one, which you can still hear the audio of uh, in the feed. You've probably seen it already, but it's a lot more fun in person. So come join us. Obviously, to celebrate our third anniversary, we're doing another installment of the tail type that started off the podcast. Tail type 510A, the persecuted heroine or Cinderella tale. Our first episode where we were doing retellings three years ago, it was about Cinderella stories in Europe. And we mentioned how this tale type was found spread out around the world. And we focused that episode on the Italian version and the German Grimm's version of the tale. If you haven't heard that episode, or it's been a couple of years, go refresh yourself with it. I was at a podcasting conference pre-pandemic and like everybody at lunch was talking about, you know, their different podcast or podcast ideas. And like, obviously I was telling people about this podcast. And the next day, this woman ran over to me and she was like, I can't believe that Cinderella cat decapitated her stepmom. <laughs> that was the most shocking part of that story. Like it starts off basically with the protagonist murdering someone and you're like, yeah, this is someone we want to live happily ever after by the end. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and it's funny because, like, you know, the the point of, like, that episode was basically to be like, like, okay, you've probably heard a C- Cinderella, the story before the Charles Perrault version, because that's the Disney version. But there's lots of Cinderella stories that you definitely haven't heard. And that one really illustrates it. And then for our first anniversary episode, we did Asian Cinderella tales, since one of the earliest versions of the tale comes from China. And we could have stayed in Southeast Asia for another year or two, frankly. There were so many Mm -hmm. tales. In fact, I think we ended up uh, doing a couple other ones that were like adjacent or close enough Mm -hmm. tales and just like other episodes. And then last year we moved west on the Asian continent and covered some Middle Eastern Cinderella tales. And I believe also Egypt, which technically is in Africa. That's true. But culturally, it's Mm -hmm. like a lot more tied in to the Middle East because it's next to all the trade routes that are there. And we also talked in that episode about how in the 1990s, there was a push in the United States to provide children with tales from other cultures. They wanted to have like a more multicultural classroom environment. And that kind of gave rise to children's authors and publishers basically taking tales that were close to famous European fairy tales, but then exaggerating the similarities to those European stories and this happened a lot with the cinderella story they were trying to make it as close to the charles perrault disney version like as possible and this was supposed to enhance multiculturalism in the classroom (laughs) (laughs) and it's like Uh. like look we're more similar than we are different and it's like well yeah if you force other cultures to be more european (laughs) which is not what multiculturalism is but anyway so we're going to come back to that same idea of that, like, oh, writing Cinderella stories from different cultures, but making it as close to, like, the Disney version as possible. We'll go back to that idea uh, a little bit later in the episode. But this year, we are in Africa. So we're trying to go around the world with these episodes. So we're moving slowly around the world. Yeah, it only comes once a year. It's, it's going to take a bit. That's true. Africa and South America are probably our least represented regions of our retellings on the podcast. So I'm glad that we can rectify that a little today. So as we start heading away from Europe and Asia, scholarship suggests that the versions further afield were brought from these areas and that they probably aren't originally, I did air quotes just then, found in these areas. And while this matters a great deal to people who want to trace the origin of tales, uh, looking for the specific place where the story came from, that really isn't our main concern. Because whether or not this story came from Africa isn't really important to us. I feel like what speaks to me is that at some point, the people in this area heard this story, whether coming in from the Middle East or coming from Europe, And it resonated with them enough for them to take it and make it their own. Mm -hmm. So we, as we go into like the Americas, we'll talk about that too, because it's like, oh, this story type is found all over the world. And then it's like, oh, well, but those ones aren't as old. Those ones were 
brought in from other places. And it's like, that might be true. But at some point, the people thought that that story resonated with them and made it their own, which is fascinating. Yeah. So the first story that we are going to look at today was recorded in Nigeria. I found it in Cinderella, a case book, which was edited by Alan Dundas. I recognize that name. Yeah. He edited and compiled like a lot of different like books of essays. He's kind of a big deal. (laughs) Household name. Alan Dundas. (laughs) It's a household name. And and very specific households. (laughs) So it's a collection of essays on a variety of Cinderella-related topics for anyone who uh, wants even more Cinderella content. So one of the essays inside this book is Cinderella in Africa, written by William Bascom, who is also a famous folklorist, very well known. And it was really interesting reading his essay. He basically, the, the, his essay was very much about how we can use tail typing to help us figure out kind of how old a story is and how, where, what direction it might have come from, which was really interesting, but kind of neither here nor there for like what we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. But he did include a, translation of a story that is from Nigeria. It was recorded in the 1910s, but it wasn't translated into English until the 1960s. This story is called The Maiden, the Frog, and the Chief's Son. Hmm. So there was once a man who had two wives. He had a wife that he dearly loved, and together they had a daughter that they dearly loved. Then he had a wife that he didn't care for, and together they had a daughter that he didn't care for. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) This absolutely fascinates me. Because, like, ever since we did The Thousand and One Nights, I've been very interested in tales with a favorite wife inside Uh cultures that have polygamy. And... The stories normally seem to fall into one of two categories. One is like a love story between the man and the favorite wife. And it's a tale that seems to like romanticize the idea of being the favorite wife. Mm -hmm. Because like, obviously, like if you're inside like a culture that has polygamy, if you're a woman, you would prefer to be the favored wife. (laughs) Like that would be the fantasy Uh is that that when you got married, you'd be the favorite wife. And then the other type of story that I've noticed is showing the favorite wife as a villain because not oh. not everybody is going to be the favorite wife. Right. And so it makes sense that these tales exist in cultures that have polygamy of like the favorite wife as villain. Yeah, because like there can only be one favorite wife, but there could be m- multiple not favorite wives. So it's like the yeah. number of non-favorite wives to favorite wives generally yeah. is like... But it's interesting that's both because like it makes sense too. In the same way that there's like, I don't know, I guess an example would be like, you know, a, a fantasy just in general in like American culture is like to be rich. Like everyone would like to be rich. Yeah. But then also there's this whole thing about like rich people are terrible. They don't care about anybody yeah. but themselves. Like they're, hor- you know what I mean? Like yeah. they're both like the thing that we aspire to be, but also so often like villains in our eyes too. And it's like. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense yeah. it's like that it can be both because it's like you want to be them because you are jealous and your jealousy will also make you feel negatively towards them. Yeah. 
because you aren't them and you can't be them. Yeah. I would be interested to know too, if at, at what point and like a woman specifically in her lifetime uh, inside of like a polygamous culture, they favor one story type versus another because in my mind, like how I would imagine it is that like, you know, before you get married, you would kind of like fantasize that you would end up being that favorite wife. So you would like stories that are about like a man and a woman falling in love and the woman getting to be the favorite wife. And then after, you know, 20 years of being in the, like a polygamous marriage and you're one of like four or five wives, if after a while you start favoring stories that do show a favorite wife as villain. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my that's my fascination uh, right now with like favorite wife stories. I have like so many thoughts about this and someday maybe like a research paper. <laughs> <laughs> but I want you to know that this story is the second kind. The favorite wife is the villain in this story. Interesting. Yes. I see. I was going to say that I don't think it would be like that just because tip, like, I feel like in a lot of fairy tales, they set the scene very early on of like who the good characters are and who the bad characters are. So when you say like a favorite wife and a favorite daughter and then, and one that's not favorite and not favored, like it seems kind of like it's setting up like, Oh, the, because these ones have favor that they're the good ones. And because these ones don't, they're the not good ones. Yeah. But I guess that's just like a, a, a prejudice that I have towards favoritism yeah because like you would think that like oh maybe the favorite wife died and now the disfavored wife is going to take it out on like that now the child that was the favorite the favorite wife's child now she's going to take no because the dad also in this story not great not great that you know name a great fairy tale (laughs) father just one anyway so yeah, I'm excited now. I'm excited yeah. to see where this goes. From the beginning, I'm already off base and surprised. I know that it's like the favorite wife is the villain in this story. Uh, so one day, the disfavored wife fell ill and she died, oh. leaving behind her daughter with a father who did not love her. Oh, man. Her father knew that someone had to take care of her. So he gave her to his favorite wife as a servant. (laughs) He's like, oh, I know what I'll do with this kid. I'll just make it a servant for my favorite wife. Someone needs to take care of this child. I know just what to do. Make her take care of other people. (laughs) That'll fix it. So every day she had to go out into the bush and cut wood for the day's fire. She had to pound out the fura, which is a millet that then gets smashed and turned into like balls. Then she had to pound the tuwu, which is cornmeal. So she basically had to take corn and pound it out into like meal. Then she had to cook all the food and she wasn't allowed to eat any of the food, only the burnt scrapings at the bottom of the pot. And then she had to clean the house. And the place where she would throw out all the scraps and garbage from the food had very many frogs that would wait for her every day and she would make sure to give them the food scraps since they had you know come over and they would eat and then swim away while she finished washing the dishes she was the first to rise in the morning and the last to go to bed and she had to repeat all of this every single day exhausting 
The story has an interesting side note that isn't a major part of the story, but I find it really interesting. She has an older brother. Oh, wow. From, from like, the same mom. Yeah. But he had been married off before the start of the story, mm-hmm. and he lives nearby yeah. in a house with his wife. And so sometimes she will go over to his house to eat if she's, like, really, really hungry, but for whatever reason she can't live there but she would go there just to like get away it's just such an interesting aside because like it really yeah it just is like a thing where like in the middle of the story she'll you know head over to her brother's house yeah to eat and then go back home to go to bed because she didn't like get enough like food to eat but it's not ever like he never becomes a major part of the story yeah which is really interesting because it feels like in folktale and and stuff like so much non-essential stuff gets carved off. Yeah. Just for like to simplify it or, you know what I mean? Cause it's, cause being passed person to person and there's like the more you have to remember, you know, like without it being written down, it just seems like nothing is there without there being a reason. So whenever there's something yeah. there that doesn't have a reason, it again brings up our favorite question of like, what am I not getting here? Yeah. Like there, it, it seems like, I mean, and there might not be, but it's like, it seems like there could be some reason why that is important. And maybe it is just one of those things to be like, would she not have had a, any family besides just that one? Like, it's weird. And this is not anything. I don't know anything about the culture this comes from. But like, yeah. is it not strange that she didn't have any siblings? Like, everyone has multiple siblings usually. Like, where are her older siblings? It's like, oh, they're already married. And that's why. Because, you know, you go and start your own family and you do your own thing. You know, I like, I don't know. I just would be curious to see if that is something. But anyway. Yeah. So sometimes she would go over to his house to eat. But it, it it's just like this, like, really brief... Like aside, that's just interesting, you know. So things in her life went on like this until the day of the festival arrived. And in the notes that I have from another source, it says that this is referencing Salah or the end of Ramadan. So Ramadan is a month of fasting that is observed by Muslims. They don't eat from sun up until sundown for a month. And we talked about this in our African Dilemma Tales episode. The Hassan people in Nigeria, where this story comes from, have historically been, they've been heavily Muslim. And today, Nigeria still has one of the largest Muslim populations in West Africa. Wow. And so it was interesting in the African Dilemma Tales, because there were a couple parts in the African Dilemma Tales where they would mention something that... I remembered reading about in like the thousand and one nights, like just words and concepts and stuff. And I was like, wait, are people in this area Muslim? And then it's like, I looked it up and it was like, yes, yes, they are. And so, yeah, it was like, again, like a little thing that was like, oh, she's referencing like the end of Ramadan. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense because there's something that I know about (laughs) Nigeria and like the Muslim people. So the end of Ramadan is kicked off with a feast called Aid al-Adha. And it makes sense that parting and festivities are about to take place in the story. And I think we all know in the grand scheme of Cinderella tales where this is going. So on the last night of Ramadan, she went to the place where she always threw the scrapings and the scraps from the pot and where she washed the dishes. But when she got there... The largest frog of all was there waiting for her. And he said, you have always been very kind to us. And now we want to return the favor to you. Come to us tomorrow morning before the festival. We have a present that we want to give you. The girl was obviously very shocked 
because it was a talking frog. Yeah. <laughs> and they, you know, she'd been hanging out with these frogs for a while and they'd never, you know, said anything. Uh, but anyway, she agreed to come back to the frog before she went to any festivities. So the next morning, she set off to meet up with the frogs, but her, it's, she, it's not her stepmother because she isn't a stepmother. There isn't really a term in English for it, mm-hmm. I don't think. There is sister wife right. for plural wives, like to talk about each other, like, oh, that person is my sister wife. But the kids I know in American polygamous groups call them mother and then their first name. Mm-hmm. It's just like another mother. Yeah. And then their children <laughs> would be your brother from another mother. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is really interesting. Yeah, it's like there's not. But they don't have they don't have sisters from another mister. No, they don't. It's the same mister regardless of the situation. Regardless of the sister, not regardless of the situation, because sometimes the father dies. Yeah, or sometimes the father gets kicked out and the the children get reassigned to a new daddy. Mm. Mm. But yeah, if I just say mother when I'm retelling this story, it's confusing. But you all know who I'm talking about. Her not stepmother, her other mother saw her leaving and she was just like, girl, where do you think you're going? You haven't gathered firewood. You haven't pounded the fura. You haven't pounded and stirred the tuwu. You haven't fetched the water. You need to get all these chores done before you can go to the festival, which I'm like, yep, that sounds very much mm-hmm. like a Cinderella story. So our heroine had to get all of her chores done before she could go and meet the frogs like she had promised. And so the frogs were left waiting all day. And if there is one thing that frogs hate, it is waiting. <laughs> we all know that. We all know that. They're notoriously impatient. (laughs) But they have a good reason. Do you know what happens if frogs have to wait too long, Jeff? Uh, no. What? They croak. Uh, that's funny because I was going to say, like, they just die because they don't have the longest lifespans anywhere. But that is way better. (sighs) Oof. Thank you. I know that there are people who will listen to that. They'll absolutely hate it. And to those people, I want to say, I'm not sorry. I did it on purpose. I planned it. I typed it up in my notes. There is no part of me that's sorry that I said that. Pun intended. Pun planned and performed to perfection. (laughs) Nice alliteration. (laughs) Okay. So after this girl was able to finish all of the chores that her not stepmom had planned for her, she went to the spot that she always did to get rid of the scraps and clean the dishes. And there Mm -hmm. were the frogs waiting for her. And the biggest frog was like, what took you so long? (laughs) I told you to meet us here so that we could give you a present. (laughs) And it's like, I love that he's like coming down hard on her. Like he's like, uh, punctuality (laughs) is important. (laughs) To us frogs. (laughs) Uh, And so the girl told him that she was like essentially a slave Mm -hmm. and that she had to work all day long and that she came as soon as she could. And the frog asked her how she had become a slave. And she explained to him that she was the daughter of an unfavored wife. And when her mother died, she had just been given as a slave to her father's other wife. Mm -hmm. And the frogs were surprised and thought that this was like a horrible, underhanded thing that had happened to her, which they are correct. <laughs> it was an awful thing that happened to her. 
And so the biggest frog asked her to hold out her hand. And when she held out her hand, she was pulled into the water and then swallowed by the frog. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I bet you didn't no, see that No, I did coming. not. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, nobody at the beginning of this story was like, she's going to end up in that frog's mouth. <laughs> no. Classic Cinderella story. <laughs> she's uh. definitely going to be inside of that frog's mouth. So what's funny is that this actually isn't an uncommon motif in this region. No, of getting swallowed by a frog? Of getting swallowed not just by a frog. Frogs are notoriously helpful uh-huh. in uh, stories in this area. Mm. But also other characters will like put another character in their mouth. And usually when they let them out, there's some kind of like a transformation. Oh, interesting. And that makes so much sense because frogs also notorious for undergoing quite the transformation in their maturation process from tadpole into frog. Yeah, there are animals that people for a really long time like couldn't figure out where they came from because they seemed to just like appear. Yeah. And it's because they would be looking at like five different stages of a critter's life and think that they were distinct animals. And they would wonder like, oh no, all the tadpoles like disappeared. Did they get eaten by these frogs? (laughs) That appeared out of nowhere. There is a correlation between when these tadpoles disappear and when all these frogs appear. Frogs must eat tadpoles. Yeah, the frogs are eating all the tadpoles. So this frog put the girl in his mouth so that he could carry her down into an underwater realm of the frogs. And when they got to the underwater realm of the frogs, he spat the girl out and he said to the gathering frogs, look and tell me, is she straight or crooked? (laughs) (laughs) Which I'm like, What do you mean by that, sir? I would be so uh, mortified if like a frog just like spat me out in front of all of his friends. And he was like, so what do we think? Like ugly (laughs) or (laughs) hot or nah? (laughs) Smash or pass? (laughs) Be like, Oh my gosh. No, thank you. Anyway. So they all, all the frogs answered that she looked a little bent (laughs) which I was like, wow, rude. But I think what they meant is like stooped from all the hard work that she has like had to do in her life. And so he put her back into his mouth. And when he spat her out again, she stood straighter and was more beautiful, Hmm. which I'm like fascinating. So next he spat out beautiful clothes and bangles and rings and a pair of shoes. One of the shoes was silver and the other one was gold, which is so interesting to me. Yeah, that they're different. Yeah, that he gave her mismatched shoes. So the frog told her, kind of like, off you go to the festival when the dancing is over and everyone is leaving, leave your gold shoe, the Mm. right one, behind. The girl agreed to do this and the frog returned her to the surface and then off she went, dressed in all of the fine new clothes, standing up straighter than before, I guess, (laughs) Uh, off to the festival. Meanwhile, the chief's son was sitting in a place of honor, like watching over all of like the dancing and festivities. He apparently didn't want to dance. He just enjoyed watching other people dance. I get it. Which I'm like, okay. As the girl entered wearing like all of these like fine clothes, we can all see where this is going. The chief's son noticed her and said, that's the maiden for me. I don't care whose home she comes from. Bring her to me. Uh, which I thought that was interesting, the little, like, I don't care mm-hmm. what home she comes from. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, no, like, 
Normally it would matter, but he's like, nope, she's so hot. I don't even care. <laughs> so this I also thought was interesting. So the servants went and got her and they brought her back to the chief's son. And he had her sit on the couch and they talked with each other for hours, which I love. Yeah, me too. Like it wasn't a thing where it was like, he was just like sitting and watching her dance and for hours and was like, I want that. Or he wasn't like, he danced one dance with her and then was like, Oh, I want to hook up with her. It's like he, they sat together and just like talked with each other. Yeah. I love that. Um, and so as the dancers were starting to disperse, the girl remembered what she had promised the frog that she would do. And so she let her right shoe, the golden one kind of like, fall off of her foot like onto the floor and left it there by the couch and then she excused herself to go home and the chief's son offered to walk her home and they had walked together quite a way when she was kind of like oh i don't really want him to come home with me i don't want him to see that like i'm the slave to my stepmom like she just didn't want him walking with her anymore Mm -hmm. and so she said oh no i've forgotten one of my shoes (laughs) and which i'm like brilliant brilliant and the chief's son said that he would just run back and get her shoe. Uh And so he ran back to go get her shoe for her, which I'm like, can you imagine like walking all that way? And then suddenly being like, Oh no, one of my shoes isn't on my feet. (laughs) Why are you just now noticing this? Yeah. Like what's going on? But the gentleman that he is went back to get it for her. Yeah. Nice move. Yeah. It was just like, I love that that element of the shoe being left. It's in the story, but instead of it being in the like running away and the shoe pops off kind of way, it's in this, like, oh, how can I ditch this guy? Right. I know. I'll remind him that that shoe's back there. <laughs> Ted send him, like, a way to go get it. So, yeah, he went back to go get the shoe. And when he got back to the spot, she was gone. Surprise, surprise. So she had gone back to the frogs to thank them and to give them back the beautiful things that they had given her. So the frog put her in its mouth, and then when it spat her back out, she was in her old clothes, like old tattered nasty clothes, and she headed back home. So when she got back home, her not-stepmother and sister, -sister, Mm half-sister, were already at home, and didn't hadn't known like where she was and so you know they were upset and like where were you where have you been and she was like oh i don't know and then she was like i'm not feeling well i need to rest i'm really tired and her not stepmom started yelling at her and was like you rascally slut (laughs) which slut in the translation like this translation this translation was done in 1963 so like slut as the choice for the translation, I'm really wondering what the word was uh-huh. originally yeah. written. And because I, I find it like such an interesting choice because it has specific uh, sexual connotations now. But we did a Patreon bonus episode on a Greek ATU 510A story called Little Saddle Slut. Mm -hmm. And we talked about how the word slut used to not have a sexual connotation when that story was written. And it was more about cleanliness. Yeah. But I don't know because this is a 1963 translation, which I'm pretty sure in 1963, slut means what it means today. So I just found it an interesting choice. Yeah, and it is interesting too because it's like this person that translated it, they are 
involved in the folklore scene. So it's like maybe they're yeah. making some reference to like slut purposefully to kind of be like a throwback to the way that other like folk tales and folk, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like it's not uncommon. Like I'm trying to think of an example. Like I, I was watching a video earlier that was like going into the, the reasons why countries all around the world have this like very like European orchestral sounding like national anthem and why like countries uh-huh. have national anthems and like flags and stuff like that. And it's because at the time that these countries were, coming up with these things and developing these things, it was because like, you know, these European countries were kind of like controlling the world and they had anthems that were European orchestral sounding and flags. And so in order to like fit in and be like taken seriously as like, oh, we are a legitimate country too. You kind of conform to the expectations societies of what it means to be a country in that sort of situation. Yeah. And this is not the exact same thing because it's kind of like going back, but to be like, oh, like I'm translating this piece of folklore that is older than the time that I'm writing it right now. So why don't I just like give it a translation that makes it sound like it's from 1890 rather than 1960. And that would impact the word choice or something. I don't know. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Anyway, so the not stepmother, rascally slut, where have you been? Uh, And, you know, she just was like, like, if if you're too if you're too sick and too tired to get to work today, then you're going to have no food from me. And after, you know, getting screamed at the not stepmom, she went away and our heroine went to her brother's house so that she could rest and eat there, which I'm like, that's so fascinating to me. Again, I'm not sure why, but yeah, it's like, I'm glad she has like some kind of support. So meanwhile, the chief's son took his father the golden shoe and was like, father, there was a girl here last night with this golden shoe on her right foot and a silver shoe on her left foot. I want to find her and make her my wife. I have to find this woman. So obviously the chief proclaimed that all of the women, young and old, were gathered together so that they could see whose foot would fit the shoe. Obviously none of them had feet that would fit because we've all been through this part of the story before. But somebody said, wait, isn't there another girl that lives in so-and-so's house and her mother was the unfavored wife that died and now she's a servant? Very specific. (laughs) And, you know, people were like, oh, yeah, I'll run and fetch her. So they, like, ran over to that house and found the girl and brought her forward. And before she could even try the shoe on, to everyone's astonishment, the shoe hopped itself (gasps) over to her. Like a frog. (laughs) And placed itself on her foot. So the not stepmother, when she, like, heard the chief's son proclaim, like, here is my new wife, she, like... She pulled her actual daughter forward and insisted that the shoe belonged to that daughter and not this, quote, good-for-nothing slut. (laughs) Again. Again, throwing that word around. But the chief's son felt pretty convinced by the shoe hopping over to this girl. (laughs) One, I thought that she was going to produce, like, the silver shoe. Yeah, me too. Because that would make the gold and the silver shoe make sense because, like... If somebody wanted to make a forfeit shoe, like right, they'd make a gold the gold shoe. one, and they yeah, they'd make a gold shoe, and then it'd be he would know for sure because be like, if somebody hmm. popped up and was like, oh, I have the match to the pair, and it's gold, he would be like liar. Yeah. Uh. So yeah, I thought she was gonna pull out like the silver shoe, and so I was surprised when she didn't. 
so yeah, the chief's son, he felt pretty convinced by like the shoe hopping over her that it was the right girl. And I would have thought also that it would have been because he recognized her as the woman that he had spent the night talking with. Right. But why would they go through this whole thing of like putting on shoes in any of these stories if he was supposed to recognize her? <laughs> but also because like in lots of the stories and even in this one, like they're magically transformed to look different than they are in their like everyday clothes, you know? Yeah. But listen... If my footwear makes more of an impression on a man than my personality does, <laughs> I'm going to take that personally. <laughs> uh-huh. That's fair. He did sit down and talk to her, too. It's not just like you would recognize her by how she looked. Yeah. He's not Quentin Tarantino. He didn't spend hours staring <laughs> at her feet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he did. Yeah. Um, so the girl was taken to the compound of the chief's son to await her marriage. And some of us might recognize that, like, in the Charles Perrault version of Cinderella, the story pretty much ends after the foot situation. Mm -hmm. But not all stories end after, like, the foot situation. I'm glad that I'm calling it the foot situation. (laughs) It does seem like a title card that would be in a Quentin Tarantino movie, like, chapter four, (laughs) the foot situation. I'm just, like, imagining if, like, the motif index <laughs> like <laughs> it was like this like little like motif was called like the foot situation <laughs> and they're like a professional did not make this tail type list or this a uh, motif list you'd be like you're correct it was just my loosey goosey mouth <laughs> and my word association brain okay so the girl was taken to the compound of the chief's son to await her marriage. So meanwhile, the frog leader is telling his comrades. Comrades always sounds very like USSR. Yeah. His compatriots, yeah. his his associates. <laughs> the frog leader's associates. Now he's in the mob. <laughs> I was like a law firm. Frog and associates. Frog, toad, and associates. I'm going to call them associates to make it sound a little more like mob boss because of what he says next. (laughs) Tonight, my daughter's being married. (laughs) No, that was weird. Okay, so tonight, my daughter is being married. I want everyone to make a contribution. I love that this frog has decided that he's now this girl's father. He's like, (laughs) her real father is trash. I'm her new father now. I love that. I I think that that is very sweet, especially because it's not just like a sentiment. He's backing it up with action. Normalize anthropomorphic talking frogs adopting nearly grown humans as their own children. Yeah, normalize it. (laughs) (laughs) I want, I'm like, this is good frog talk uh, content right here. Um, So each of the frogs went to the girl and they vomited up different items. (laughs) Yeah. A silver bed, a brass bed, a copper bed, and an iron bed. <laughs> She's like, whoa, whoa, I don't need so many beds. Let's let's get a little <laughs> variety in here, please. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why all of these beds. It does not yeah. become important later, and I need you to know that. Wow. They also vomited up. <laughs> it sounds so weird to say that. Um, they also vomited up blankets, rugs, fine fabrics. Clothes, fragrances, massages, mimosas, <laughs> fine leather goods. Treat, Treat yourself. yourself. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was like looking at like the list of stuff, I seriously like that's all I could think about. 
So after all the frogs had given their gifts, the largest frog came and told the girl that if her heart ever troubled her, she could lay herself down on the brass bed. Mm. That's the only mentions of the bed. That's interesting. Each bed may have a particular purpose. Lost yes. to time because the brass bed is the only one that matters at this moment. But Yeah, that's what I think. I'm like, there must have been, or I don't know. It seems like it's like vestigial. Like, yeah. That at one point, the different beds served a purpose in like the story, like each one of them, because it sounds like he is about to say, like, if your heart ever troubles you, lay down on the brass bed. If you are ever ill, lay down on the iron bed. If you're ever, you know, like, like specific things. But that's the only mentions of the bed is just like, if your heart ever troubles you, lay yourself down on the brass bed. Yeah. Which she does not do in the rest of this story. (laughs) I'm always of like two starkly contrasting opinions when it comes to stuff like this. Like one, I'm with you. I'm like, oh, it's got to be vestigial. There's got to be a meaning to all of this stuff. And then I swing way hard the other way. And I'm like, oh, these are just like tales that were told like orally passed down from person to person. So like stuff that just gets made up and added on the spot gets in there. And then it just continues to be in there because one person randomly added, they're like, oh, what? The one frog did this. And then another one, like they accidentally did two beds in a row. And they're like, oh, I already did a bed. Oh, let's just lean into it. Another bed and another (laughs) bed. And then they're going on like, wait, why does she need so many different beds? Just like I was. And then they're like, so then the frog said, if you ever feel this way, then you lie in this bed. Okay. Are you satisfied that the beds have a reason now? Okay. Now let's move on. You know, it's like either there's like deep, amazing, rich meaning or it's like just someone flying by the seat of their pants um, yeah. and like just trying to justify the choices that they've haphazardly made in the past because that's that's the thing that I can relate to. <laughs> yeah. Or like you just made me think that it's like we don't know the context that the story was like written down because there was a person who was like writing down there's probably a person that was telling the story mm-hmm. in like 1911 when these stories were being compiled. Somebody was probably telling the story. And it's like, he might have even like when he was saying the bed stuff or whatever, he might have been like, oh, you know what? This guy that I'm telling the story to, he's looking tired. He's looking uninterested. I'm going to cut the story shorter. And then just like skip that part because he was like, oh, this guy, he's been recording all (laughs) day. He's looking bored with this story because he knows it already or whatever. Yeah, like we're missing the context. Yeah, we're missing all, like, that context of, like, how the story... Or the guy was just so tired that he, like, nodded off for a second and then came back (laughs) to, like, the brass bed does this. He's like, oh, man, and he had to fill in the, like, gap himself. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's just It doesn't matter. It was just interesting that it was there. Because, yeah, it was, like, it made such a big deal about there being these four different beds and then it never comes up. So, the frog continues. When the chief's sons other wives come to greet you which is interesting because this is the first we're hearing that the chief's son already has like other wives and like multiple other wives because he's like an important person Mm -hmm. and also in this story it is never said that she's like the uh becomes like a favorite wife which i also think is like interesting she's just like one of many so when the chief's sons other wives come to greet you give them two calabashes of cola nuts and 10,000 cowrie shells. So a calabash is um, a hollowed out like gourd, just mm-hmm. so the people know, filled with like cola nuts. Right. And cowrie shells were used as money, were used as like currency. They're actually one of the... I remember that from another episode. Yeah, they're one of the oldest forms of symbolic currency because they themselves, like the cowrie shells, were not 
what was like the valuable item they represented money they could be traded as money right. the same way that like our dollar bills or like our coins don't have resale yeah. value as materials or they don't have yeah. a lot of resale value as like materials they're representative so it's interesting because yeah it's like the cowrie shells their money it's the same as being like give them like ten thousand dinars because yeah the cowrie shells are money so then the frog says when the concubines come Give them one calabash of cola nuts and 5,000 cowrie shells. If they ask for corn to make their tuwu, tell them that there's a bag hanging in the corner and to take as much as they want. Which I'm like, yeah, obviously she's going to be the favorite among the wives, which I think is really interesting. That, like, the frog is setting her up to have a really good relationship with, like, the women. Yeah. But, the frog says, when your father's wife comes... He has he, I mean, father's wife. It's better than my being like not stepmother. Hmm. He's like, when your father's wife comes with her daughter and asks what it's like living in the compound, tell them, quote, it is a wearisome business for they measure out corn here with the shell of a bambara groundnut. And a bambara groundnut is a legume that grows underground like a peanut. <laughs> Imagining it's pretty small. It is. Most of the legumes I know are pretty small. It's pretty small, but it has like a, it does have like a shell because like a peanut. It, mm-hmm. it, yeah. And yeah. that's also why it's called a ground nut is because it's in the ground. Yeah. You see, you see. I get it. So basically what the frog is saying is to make it sound like you don't get fed very much there. Like make, downplay your happiness in front of them. Yeah. And which I'm like, great advice. So our heroine lived there until one day. Her father's favorite wife, it says that like over and over, brought her daughter along to visit at the chief's son's compound. And they brought our heroine out and were like, oh, come with us. (laughs) Nefarious. And they took her back to their home because the mother wanted to visit. And she was like, oh, Or we just wanted to visit and hear about, like, what's it like? How's your married life going? What goes on over at the, you know, the chief son's compound? And the girl answered the way that the frog had told her. She said, oh, it's a wearisome business. And the mother was like, oh, how so? And she's like, well, they use the shell of a bambara groundnut for measuring out corn. And then she starts extrapolating which I think is very interesting because we talked last year in the story about when our heroine did some tricky fibbing, which was mm-hmm. interesting because normally the way that we see Cinderella's are like they do everything sweet and right. And then they end up winning or coming out on top because of their goodness. It's not usually out of any cunning or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like in the Charles Perrault version, especially. And I think in the Brothers Grimm version, too, it's kind of like honesty is the thing that makes her like worthy of the help of all of these people and like magic and whatever. Yeah. It's like honesty and kindness and yeah. Honesty and kindness. Yeah. Those are her two, like those are her qualities that make her a good person that deserves all these things. So it's like to see a Cinderella tale where the Cinderella is lying, you know, when we're used to that other one, it's like kind of like, Oh wow. That is very like opposite. Yeah. Like the, the cleverness of women is not, like used inside of like a lot of like the European Cinderella yeah. stories, which is interesting. So, cause our girl is about to do some lion. 
because she continues on in kind of the same vein that the frogs had told her, but uh, with her own stuff. So after she says the use the shell of a Bambara groundnut for measuring out corn, she says, then some of the customs are there are very strange. If the chief's son's other wives come to visit you, you answer them with a poof of contempt. If the concubines come to greet you, you clear your throat, hawk and spit. And if your husband comes into your hut, you yell at him. He's into that. <laughs> and, you know, the mother's like, oh, interesting, interesting. And she's kind of like looking at her daughter being like, oh. And then they basically lock up the, the heroine and the other daughter, because they never give this woman a name. I don't know if anybody's noticed. I had noticed. <laughs> and then the favorite daughter stayed behind in the chief's son's compound. So the next morning, when the sun came up, the other wives came over to greet her because they liked her because of the way that she was. But mm -hmm. I guess they also didn't notice. I don't know. Maybe these ladies look very similar. So when they came in to see her, she said poof to them, which is very rude. And then the concubines came to greet her and she spat at them. And then at night, when the chief's son came into her hut, she just started screaming and yelling at him. <laughs> Apparently, that was not his kink. And he left right away. And it says for two days, he pondered the matter. <laughs> it's like, why would she do He was that? like so upset that he got yelled at for like no reason. He was like, what did I do? Was that, was that my fault? <laughs> <laughs> Did I somehow deserve that? Poor guy. <laughs> Poor guy. So he went to his wives and his concubines and he was like, um, I have something I want to ask you guys. I don't think that that lady is the same lady from before. Has she been treating you guys weird? He got yelled at one time by this lady and then was like, maybe she got switched out for another woman. <laughs> I mean, that was what happened, but he's like, at least he wasn't like, she shouted at me. He just like shrugs his shoulders. He's like, ladies be crazy. Mm -hmm. He was like, something's going on here. Anyway. So all of the women were like, uh, yeah, she's been treating us differently and weird. She used to give us cola nuts and cowrie shells. And she even would give the concubines uh, cola nuts and cowrie shells. And instead she has been like spitting at us and scoffing us. It's weird. And he was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly that. She yelled at me and they all kind of were like, well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. They were all like, yeah, that is weird. And he said that like normally when he goes in to see her, he finds her respectfully kneeling on the ground and she doesn't get up until he's already settled himself down like in bed. Which I listen, I'm not a huge fan of that, but different different cultures do different things. It's okay. So he called over some of his soldiers and he had them drag this woman out. And I should have uh, trigger warning at the beginning of this. There's going to be some violence in these stories. So uh, they dragged this woman out of her hut and they took their swords and they chopped her into little pieces. Oh my gosh. And then they collected those little pieces and they wrapped them up in cloth 
and we're taking them back to her home. Jeez. When you said there was going to be violence, that is not <laughs> what I was picturing. I thought they were going to like beat her with reeds or something, not chop her into pieces. Yeah, my bad. It's fine. <laughs> so when they got back to her home, when they got there, they found the true wife locked up. And in this story, she's lying in the fireplace, which is interesting because it kind of like harkens back to that like Cinderella woman laying in the cinders, but they found her uh, lying in the fireplace and they picked her up and they took her back to her husband, uh, the chief's son's house. When she gets back there, everybody is so happy to see her. And she asks her husband if it was okay, if she could build a well out behind her hut and it's so that all of her frog friends can come yes. and live by her. I absolutely love that. I was hoping that's what the well was for. It's like, and the frogs came and entered the well, and there they lived. That's all. <gasps> that's the end of the story? The happy ending is that she gets to have her frog friends come and live yes. with her? That is amazing. I love this story. You're like, the story ends with, <laughs> and her and her frogs lived happily ever after. <laughs> That's my kind of fairy tale. (laughs) So I thought that that story was super fun, very interesting. Again, in this essay um, that's inside Cinderella Casebook called Cinderella in Africa, he goes on to kind of talk about how this story, because it has so many elements that line up with like European elements, it probably Mm -hmm. came into the area via European like storytelling through some capacity, which makes sense because like Nigeria has been trading for thousands and thousands of years, a lot with like middle Eastern countries, but then later Mm -hmm. European countries. And so it makes sense that this story would have time to like come down and percolate and take on its own flavor. And so, you know, the point in this article is kind of to say that this story isn't as old as say you know the cinderella story in china or even as old as the cinderella story in as recorded in like german folk tale right stories but to me i'm like it doesn't matter what's interesting to me is that at some point this story came into the area and it was resonating enough with the people that it was taken in and transformed into something that was a little more like culturally relevant to them. Like absolutely transformed in a way that it's like, okay, yeah, you can see the similarities, but there's way more differences than there are similarities and in really, really fun ways. Yeah. So I kind of teased at the beginning of an episode that we were going to get back to this idea of like multicultural Cinderella stories in the classroom. And somebody at some point, uh, as we were doing the podcast, uh, not this year during the like audience request situation, Mm -hmm. but usually I think it was close to the beginning of the podcast, somebody had said that, you know, when they were a child, one of their favorite stories was Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, an African tale by John Steptoe. Mm-hmm. And it is considered like 
the African Cinderella story of this time period that I was talking about. Right. And this book won a Caldecott Honor Award. It is a beautiful story, beautifully illustrated. I am in no way saying, like, don't buy this book. The author of this book, John Steptoe, he was an author and an illustrator for children's books, famously great at writing about aspects of the African-American experience. And his most famous book is Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters. It is highly regarded. It is a great book. I do think that people should get it. I'm not saying that, like, that because this book is... Because what I'm about to say is that this book is an example of changing a story a little bit to be closer to the Cinderella story that we know. This one does not do it like to that extent. And it really is. It is beautifully illustrated. It is a gorgeous story. Very well thought through. I am like, people should get this book and read it. It is lovely. It is out of print because it was published in 1989 if you can find it from like a used bookstore, thriftbooks.com, something like that, I definitely want to like encourage people to get it. So at the front of Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters, he writes that this story was inspired by a folktale collected by George McCall Feel that was published in 1895. And I'm not going to say the title of the book that it comes from. If people are interested, um, you can either buy Mufaro's Beautiful Daughters uh, and read it in the front page, or you can message me and I will write it to you. But because the book was written and recorded in South Africa in 1895, the title contains a slur and a derogatory term that I prefer not to say that's fair. Even though I have heard people say like, oh, well, like if you're if you're giving a citation or, you know, for scholarship, you know, you have to give these citations. You know what? This is a podcast. Uh, it's not for scholarly research. You've done a good faith effort to say like, hey, here's a source. You can find what this source is very easily. But you don't want those words literally coming out of your mouth and being associated yeah. with your voice. Yeah. I get it. So I'm, I'm like, yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just that's the situation. But I looked up that book, found it on archive.org so that, you know, we would be as close to the original and not just retelling John Steptoe's work, which again, I recommend this book to people. It is beautiful. And it's not as like egregious as the one we talked about last year when it was somebody took a story, changed it a lot to be closer in line with uh, Charles Perrault's story of Cinderella. And then they said that, like, this story is from the Thousand and One Nights. The Thousand and One Nights are from the ninth century, and it isn't from the Thousand and One Nights. <laughs> yeah, not even close. Not even close. Uh, so I highly recommend this book, especially, like, if you have kids. It is very beautiful. Again, Caldecott Honor Book. Very prestigious award uh, that's awarded for um, illustrations, and the illustrations are beautiful. But we're going to be going to... Um, the inspiration for that story, which is very interesting. Oh, and I was going to say, <laughs> we will notice that this story 
is a cousin to the Cinderella tale, which is the kind and unkind girl's tale type. So this is the story of five heads. There once was a man living in a certain place who had two daughters who were old enough to get married. And so one day, this man crosses over the river to another town, and in that town there lived a great chief. And so the people there were like, hey man, what news do you have from your town? So he said that there's you know nothing really going on, no news from my town. What about you? What's, what's happening here in your town? And they were very excited to say that they had some news, that their chief was wanting a wife. And so this man, who's like, I have two daughters who are old enough to be married. Let me go back. And he says to them, which one of you wants to be the wife of a chief? The eldest daughter said, I want to be the wife of a chief. And that girl's name was Mpunzikazi. Gold star for giving the heroine a name right at the beginning. Well, not the heroine. The characters' names right at the beginning of the story. I'm glad that I gave you the story that had names. <laughs> yeah. So that I can be mispronouncing them yeah. for once. It's all part of my clever plan. So when the older daughter uh, volunteers to be this chief's potential wife, so the father says, great, you need to go to the village that I just visited. That's where the chief is wanting a wife. And so this man, he calls all his friends together, gets a big group to go with her to cross over the river to go and see the chief. But this girl says, uh, no, I don't want to go with like this big crowd of people. I'm just going to go by myself to be the wife of the chief. And so her father's like, um, wait, how can you do that? You can't do that. Like when a girl goes to present herself to a potential husband, she's supposed to be accompanied by like a bridal party <laughs> by, by a bunch of other people. Like, don't be stupid. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. The girl's like, no, I will go alone so that I can become the wife of the chief. And so the man's like, all right. It's your life. Do what you want to do. So he lets her go and she went alone with no bridal company to, to go with her. And so along the path, Mpunzikazi sees a mouse. And a mouse comes up to her and speaks and says, Shall I show you the way? And the girl replied, Get out of my sight, you dumb mouse. Oh my gosh. <laughs> just kidding. She's like, but she does. She's just like, get out of my sight, basically. So the mouse says, I, I'm so tempted to do a Mickey Mouse voice. So if you do this. You should. You absolutely I should. I can't do a very good Mickey. Um, ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> if you do this, he'll not succeed. Ha <laughs> ha. So the mouse is like, uh, okay, but if you behave like this, there's no way you're going to succeed at becoming the chief's wife. And she goes a long way. And she encounters a frog. And the frog says, Shall I show you the way? No, that's Goofy. <laughs> Why did I do Goofy instead of Kermit? What does Kermit sound like? Shall I show you the way? I guess that is. I guess, no, Kermit. Oh, Kermit. Shall I show you the way? That's Kermit. Sometimes I something the rainbow connection. <laughs> Sometimes I something a rainbow connection. <laughs> I don't actually know that song Sometimes very well. Sometimes anyway. I something a rainbow connection. <laughs> the someone and maybe a place. <laughs> that's beautiful <laughs> so further down the path she comes across a frog interestingly a frog mm -hmm. given the context of the other story that was told this <laughs> night and the frog says hey can I show you the way to get to the chief and once again Mpunzikazi replies quite rudely saying 
what makes you think that you can speak to me? I'm going to be the wife of a chief. Basically brushing this frog off, being like, you are beneath me. So the frog says, all right, go along. Let's see how you do without my help. And so she goes on. And finally, the girl gets a little tired from walking and she sits down by a tree and there's a boy herding goats nearby and sees her sitting by this tree and he's a little hungry. So he comes along and approaches her and he says, hey, older sister, where are you going? Which I think it's fun that he calls her older sister, even though yeah. it's not literally his sister. It's just kind of like a culture where it's like, we're, we're close. We're a tight knit community. Yeah, because it's like when people are like, auntie. Yeah. And it, it just means person that's close to my parent, like woman that's close to my mom's age. Yeah. And so the girl replies again, very angry, this time to a human boy rather than a frog. Who do you think you are that you can just come up and speak to me? Get out of my sight. So she took the insults that she gave to both the mouse and the frog, combined them and gave them to that little boy to try to For get her away. no reason. Yeah. I was like, man. So the boy's like, okay, um, well, I'm really hungry. Could you give me a little bit of your food? And she's just basically like, get away from me. To that, the boy replies like, well, you're not going to be able to come back if you behave like this. And once again, she gets up and she goes on her way. And this time she comes across an old woman who's sitting by a big stone. Always be kind to old women. Yes. But I have a feeling (laughs) that Mpunzakazi is not going to be nice. So the old woman says to Mpunzakazi as she comes along, I'll give you some advice. When you're going along, you'll meet some trees that will laugh at you. Do not laugh in return. You'll come across a bag of thick milk, which I don't know what thick milk is, but the old woman has to tell the girl, you must not eat it. I know that thick milks look so good, but do not eat it. And then she says, finally, you will come across a man whose head is under his arm. Do not take water from him. And you'd think, like most of those things, you do not need to tell me to do. If the trees are laughing at me, I am running. If I see a bag of thick milk, I am turning an eye to it and not eating it in the least. And if I came across a man who had his head carried underneath his arm, I would think that it was Dulahan, and I would once again run away <laughs> and not drink the water that he offered me. But Mpunzakazi doesn't understand that when you receive cryptic advice from an old woman in the woods, that you listen to it just says, you ugly thing. It's like, dang, who are you that you should give me advice? This girl's got a pretty high opinion of herself. Seriously. But the old woman just kept on repeating that advice to the girl because she thought it was important for this girl to understand. So the girl goes on and she comes to a place where there were a bunch of trees. And guess what happens, Katrina? I'm guessing that she does exactly the opposite of what she's supposed to be doing. (laughs) So these trees start laughing at her. And what does she do? She laughs right back, even though she's been forewarned not to do so. She comes across a bag of thick milk. And what does she do with that thick milk, Katrina? Puts it in her mouth. She eats it all up. And then she sees a man carrying his head underneath his arm. And what does she do? She should be running away screaming, but instead she takes water from him and she drinks it. So finally she comes to the river by the village of the chief who wants to get married. And he sees a little girl dipping in, you know, a cup or whatever to to gather water from the river. And the little girl says to this woman, girl, Mpunzakazi, it's like, oh, where are you going, my sister? And again, Mpunzakazi, very rudely, who are you that you can call me sister? I am going to be the wife of the chief. The girl that was drawing water 
just so happens to be the sister of the chief. And she <laughs> says to Mpunzakazi, wait a second, I'll give you some advice. Don't come into the village on this side. But Mpunzakazi, once again, didn't care to listen, just goes on in. She reaches the village of the chief and the people are asking her a bunch of questions like, hey, you know, who are you? Where'd you come from? And she simply replies, I've come to be the wife of the chief. And they're all like, what? You're coming to be the wife of the chief? I've never seen a girl come to present herself to a potential husband without like a big party to come along with her. Like, are you sure that you're here to become a bride? Yeah. And they're also like, besides, uh, the chief's not home. But here, if you're going to be his bride, go there and prepare food for him so that when he comes back in the evening, he can have something to eat. So they gave her some millet for her to grind to make into some bread. And she grinds it very, like, coarsely, it says. So she doesn't grind it, like, very fine. And so because she doesn't do a very good job grinding it, like, it becomes a bread that it says is, quote, not nice to eat. So she does what they said to do to make him a meal, but she totally, like, did it halfway, you know? Yeah. Minimum viable product that is nearly inedible. Which it's like you would think that, like, oh, you're making a meal for the person that you potentially... And she was told specifically, like, this is going to be a meal to feed to your yeah. potential future spouse. Like, you would think that you would try your best. She is so confident in herself that she doesn't think that she needs to follow anyone's advice. Yeah. She doesn't think that she needs to like try, like she thinks that she's going to walk in and be like, I want to be the wife of the chief. And then it's just going to happen. Like, yeah, that he's just going to see her and be like, Oh sure. Yeah. Is it like first come first serve? Like the first person to come in is like, I would like to be the wife of the chief, like automatically gets chosen, you know? Yeah. Never a thought to the fact that she could potentially be rejected anyway. So this is where the story gets even more supernatural than it already has been because in the evening she hears the sound of a great wind and the sound of that wind was the coming of the chief and the chief was a big snake with five heads and large eyes and the titular character <laughs> yeah because the story is called five heads so what's interesting about him being a five-headed snake is that like a five-headed snake is um like it's a symbol in I know Hindu culture and some Buddhist cultures as Naga Raja. Uh -huh. And people might recognize the name Naga because uh, that was a part of the name of the snake in oh, Harry Potter. Nagini. Nagini, yeah. And so there's also uh, uh, snakes. If you look at like their scientific name, uh, some of the snakes, I think it's just in Africa. Am I might be in other places. Part of their like scientific name like also includes the like Naga. Wow. Interesting. Naga Raja is like this five-headed snake kind of a, a god, like a deity. Uh -huh. And so it is like not only would it be terrifying to like see a five-headed snake suddenly come through the door, uh -huh. but also if it has that like religious connotation where she realizes like this wasn't just like any chief. This right. was like a God. the important person. Yeah, that it was like, you're about to be judged by a God and yeah. seen if you're found worthy and not just like worthy to be like, not just like, oh, well, she looks good enough to be a wife, but like judged by a God of like, is your character mm -hmm. good? 
And it's she's had multiple opportunities to see if her character was good and just full across the board failures. Yeah. So for the first time in this entire story, she reacts appropriately in seeing this <laughs> giant five-headed snake with large eyes. And she is scared out of her mind. He comes in. He sits down. He tells her to bring him his food. And so she brings him the crappy bread that she made. <laughs> and five heads, Makanda Malanu is his name, which translates to five heads, was unsurprisingly not satisfied with that crappy bread. And he said, you shall not be my wife. And he struck her with his tail and killed her. <laughs> Just like you said, she was judged and found wanting and deemed not worthy to be alive anymore. Yeah. Guess who the unkind girl was in this story? <laughs> this transition is like the most understated transition of any story I've ever seen. Girl is just killed. And the transition to the next part of the story is, afterwards, the sister of Mpunzikazi says to her father, I also wish to be the wife of a chief. <laughs> like, <laughs> skipping over any sort of reaction of hearing the news or anything like that, just straight on to, nope, my turn. And so the father replied, okay. I think that's a great thing that you want to be a bride. And once again, he calls together all his friends. He gets his, he gets his big party together to accompany her to present herself to the chief so that she can potentially become his bride. The name of this girl was Mpunzanyana. So her and the bridal party this time that is accompanying her head out. And along the way, they meet a mouse. And the mouse comes up to her and says, hey, can I show you the way down this road to get to the village? And so Mpunzanyana says, oh, you know what? If you showed me the way, that would be great. I would be super happy to have you lead me to the village. And so the mouse points the way down the road and she follows along and she comes into a valley where she sees an old woman standing by a tree. Which I did think it was interesting that they skipped right over the frog this time. And this woman says to her, okay, when you keep going along here, you're going to come to a place where the two paths branch off from one another. You have to take the little path because if you take the big path, something bad is going to happen to you. And so Mpunzanyana is like, okay, calls her my mother. Mm -hmm. I'll take the little path. And so she goes on taking the little path. We love a respectful queen. <laughs> so she continues down this little path and she comes across a coney. Uh, yeah, a rabbit. Yeah. Which I only know because of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, a brace of conies. So she meets a coney or a rabbit. And the coney says, Okay, the village of the chief is very close by. When you come to the river, you're going to meet a girl and you must speak nicely to her. That's very important. Also, they're going to give you some millet to grind and you need to grind that millet very well. And when you see your husband, you need to not be afraid. Don't freak out. <laughs> Which is like, oh man, like a lot of that is just like, oh, that's good advice. Be polite, do a good job. Don't be scared when you see the man that you're going to marry. <laughs> <laughs> Not words that you want to hear on your wedding night. So the younger sister continues on and she gets to the river and she sees the chief sister carrying water. And the chief sister says to her, hey, uh, where are you going? And Mpunzanyana replies, I'm here. This is the end of my journey. I'm coming to your village. And the chief sister's like, uh, what's the reason for you coming to our village? And Mpunzanyana turns around, kind of gestures to the group behind her. She's like, look. I'm with the bridal party. I'm here to be a bride to your chief. And so the chief sister's like, okay, but can you promise that you're not going to be afraid when you see your husband? And Mpunzanyana says, I will not be afraid. 
it's going to be fine. I'm ready. <laughs> and so the chief sister points out the hut that she needs to stay in. Food was given to the bridal party because they've been traveling a long way, need to rest, uh, refeed, and recuperate. The mother of the chief comes. She brings millet to Mpunzanyana, the bride-to-be, and she says, you must prepare some food for your husband. He's not here right now, but he's going to come tonight. And so she does. She prepares the millet, grinds it well, presumably, and she waits. And in the evening, once again, she hears this strong wind, which is so strong that it makes the entire hut shake. The poles of the hut fell down, but she still didn't run out because she knew that it was her husband coming and she needed to not be afraid. And when she saw the chief, Makanda Malanu, coming, again, not afraid, he comes in, he asks for food, and Mpunzanyana takes the bread that she made and she gives it to him. And because she ground the millet well and followed directions as she was, he's very pleased with this food. And he says, you shall be my wife. And he gave her, it says, very many ornaments. So presumably he gives her clothes, fragrances, massages, mimosas, and fine leather goods. (laughs) No need to treat yourself, honey. He's treating you. (laughs) So afterwards, Makanda Milanu, five heads, becomes a man, much less frightening. Mpunzanyan and him get married, and she continued to be the wife that he loved the best. The end. Which, interesting, I didn't think of this until you had said what you said at the beginning of this part about favorite wives, because it's like the whole time, we don't know, but at the end it's like, the wife that he loved the best seems to be another favorite bride kind of a tie-in, yeah. Which... If she had not heard what had happened to her sister, she might have thought that like when she got there that he was already married to mm-hmm. her sister. Him and that she would be like the second yeah. wife. So what is so interesting about this husband, this man being like a five-headed snake is that the only places that I can find reference to like five-headed snakes are um hindu culture um hindu mythology stories Mm -hmm. and also buddhist mythology stories but this story comes from south africa and so i mean there are also in africa a mythical quality around snakes and half snake people in like mythology but i can't find anything that kind of really connects with this story but Either way, snakes as like deity or as like demigods Mm -hmm. is a thing that's like in the region. And so like when I read that story, that's kind of like where my mind goes is that this is supposed to be a kind of divine being. Yeah. And so it's not just like a person who... Or in like the kind and unkind girls stories, usually it's like there's a helper Mm -hmm. in the middle of the story that either helps them or doesn't help them based on their behavior. And then they get to marry a prince if that person helped them. But in this story, it's there's a bunch of these characters who are kind of like mini helper characters Mm -hmm. that are testing the goodness of the daughter along the way. But then the final judge of the girls is this snake husband. Yeah. The other thing that I think is interesting about these helpers is that really the only thing they're doing to test her is to offer help about like the best way to get to the village or like the safest yeah. way, which it seems like that's a really easy thing to follow 
the advice of people trying to help you yeah. go somewhere. So it's kind of like it. I, I feel like it's just testing kind of like humility and or the ability yeah. to follow directions. Like obviously the first girl was not very humble. She just thought that she was whatever she thought. She was like, not even did she not want to take their advice, but she would just like come back at them with like, how dare you even speak to me? Like I'm going to be the wife of the chief, like already taking for granted that she was going to marry the chief and then using that as like a token of authority that she had over these people that made her better than them. And it was like, like she started it all off by like, not even doing the customary thing that she was supposed to do, which was like bringing a bridal party with her with like, gifts like there are things that are supposed to go into this whole thing and she just like immediately from the start was like no i refuse to follow tradition that was like the first thing that she did yeah it's just her being like nope i refuse to follow tradition i'm gonna do this next what i think is so interesting about the helpers is that normally in stories with these like helper characters in stories is like the same ones popping up. That's what I was thinking too. And it's so interesting because like I kind of like went back and was like, okay, so who was like the first one? And the first one that the girl ran into was like the mouse. The mouse who offers to show her the way and she ignores it. So she goes a different way. Than what the mouse probably was going to show her. So she ends up seeing like a bunch of other stuff and there has to be significance in a lot of these things, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. The the laughing trees, the milk. The only thing that I could find with like the milk is that um, in a lot of places where like snakes are revered, mm-hmm. people will leave out milk as like an offering for them. And which I'm like, that seems like an interesting thing to leave out for snakes because I don't know if snakes drink milk. I don't Uh know their business. I don't know enough about snakes. Like they're not mammals, so they don't drink milk like as babies for sure. Yeah. So like, why would that be something that they're into? I don't know. But that's like people would like leave out milk. So like part of me is like, was that like thick milk supposed to be like his afternoon snack? And then she Uh like ate his afternoon (laughs) snack. I don't know. Yeah. Right at the beginning, you know, with the girl being willing to follow the first thing that she ran into, which was the mouse, mm-hmm. when she was like, the mouse was like, shall I show the road? And she's like, oh, sure, that'd be great. The next thing that she came to was that old woman. So she missed the frog. Yeah, all the creepy stuff. And the yeah, boy. all the creepy stuff. Which it was so interesting because I went back to look at it, too, when you said that. Because I was like all sad that she didn't get to meet the frog. Because, you know, like, yeah, he would have been maybe she would have gotten a well and he would have been her friend. <laughs> like outside of They her would house. have lived happily ever yeah. after. But it's funny because the mouse is like, shall I show you the way? And she's like, no, I can find the way myself. Thank you. And goes the wrong way. She gets a second chance because the frog is also like, hey, can I show you the way? And she's like, no. <laughs> and then she goes on. And yeah, I didn't think of it like. Then she meets the little boy and the little boy is also like, can I help you? And she's like, no. And then he's like, can you at least help me? And she's also like, no, because he asked if she can give him some food. Yeah. And so then when she gets to that old woman. Yeah. Because she ends up meeting up with like that old woman. Yeah. And the old woman is like, oh, you're going to come to a place that has two paths. Take the little one. If you take the big one the more the main road, you will not be fortunate. 
which the other girl did take the main road and met the laughing trees, the bag of milk and the headless guy. Yeah. Well, I just love too. It's like if you go down the wrong path, then you see this freaky, scary stuff that you don't want to see because it's messed up. And not only do you see it, you're going to accept water from this headless guy carrying around under his arm. Yeah, which could have been like, I'm like, there has to be a symbolic meaning to like all that stuff. I don't know what it is, but it it is like, because she was kind of that old woman, the old woman's like, oh, if you take the little path, like it's better. And she's like, Mm -hmm. okay. And she takes the little path. And then she meets a rabbit, which was a character that the other girl missed meeting. And the rabbit was the one who was like, hey, just so you know, the the girl that you're going to oh, meet by yeah. the river is the chief's. Gives her a heads up. Sister. Yeah, is that, like that's the chief's. So speak nicely to her. I think this girl probably would have spoken nicely to her right. anyway. Yeah. Even without the Coney's like advice. But the Coney also was like, oh, and make sure to like really grind that millet like well. Because like your husband and also gave her an extra heads up kind of about her husband. Mm-hmm. And so... Like, it's fascinating to me just because, like, at first when I read through it, I was like, she's meeting all, like, half of them are different characters instead of it being, like, of the same, like, formula. But it is, like, she she took the easier, better way because she was kind to people. They they helped her, so she did meet less people. But it's also frustrating when you realize that, like, that first girl had the opportunity to not be crappy. So many times. So many times. Because it is like she was rude to the mouse. And if she had made up for it with the frog, possibly things would have gotten better from there. But like she just kept digging a bigger hole for herself. And that's why the trees were laughing at it. Like, oh, man, this girl is so stupid. She's going about this the wrong way. She's never going (laughs) to become the wife of the chief. And instead of taking that as a hint to maybe be a little more humble, she just laughs right back. And I'm like, ha ha, you think you're so cool laughing at me, you stupid trees? I can laugh too. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. I love that it's like different journeys for the different people. It's not just, not only, this is where we tie it into like a life lesson, Katrina. You ready? Not (laughs) only is the destination better where you end up, when you get to be there and get your goal of like being married to the king or whatever, who is a maybe a deity, which maybe even has more significance than I'm even attaching here. Yeah. Not only is that end better, but your journey along the way to get there is much more pleasant as well. When you are humble and kind and uh, accept help from other people and help other people. And when you're nice to people, they offer you, uh, you know, helpful advice that makes your journey even easier and better as you go along. It's also interesting too that like, the one sister who was not put off by seeing a man carrying his own head beneath his arm, so not turned off that she <laughs> drank water that this guy offered to her. She yeah. was the one that got scared when she saw the snake. But the girl who'd just been meeting nice, fluffy, friendly animals the whole way and like pleasant people, you know, she was the one who was not scared. I guess partially because she had warning, but so the other girl actually had warning too, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Not only a little bit, she did. They're like, hey, don't be scared because your husband is terrifying. Even the, even the sisters, like, <laughs> don't don't freak out. Yeah. So it's interesting that the one who had, like, the more pleasant, you know, experience, like, when they did meet something that was terrifying and scary looking, like, was able to not be scared. I guess because, again, she was trusting these people. And maybe that's this part of the thing, too. Like, the first sister, she didn't trust that she didn't need to be afraid of this terrifying snake. Because yeah. she didn't care what other people thought. She only cared her thought. And her immediate response was, this is scary. I don't like this. And so she behaved that way. Whereas yeah. the other sister, she'd been trusting and listening to people all the way along the way. She's like, okay, like 
this is his sister. She would know him really well. If she says not to be afraid, apparently there's something that's worth being afraid about, but I'm going to, you know, kick against that instinct and I'm going to be not afraid and trust that everything's going to be okay. Just like, interesting. I'm like, or they realized the significance when it was like this five-headed snake that came in. If she suddenly realized a significance that we don't understand that was like, right. Oh, wait, this is not just like some wealthy guy. This is somebody that's going to be able to see me for who I really am. I need to be afraid because right. I'm suddenly she knows realizing it's not going to end well. Yeah. Like, oh, I know I haven't been doing good. But yeah, I don't know. Like, either way. I can see that too in the movie, in the movie version of this. <laughs> yes, which I know. I love to do. Like, when she's going to give him the bread like I can see her kind of like looking down at the bread and almost like pulling it back like oh man she's like ashamed of it now that she knows who the bread is for but then he's like okay come and bring me the food and she's like walking up to it like not even just so much like terrified of him but just kind of like terrified of him but also like oh my gosh I have to give him this thing that I like you know that that moment of guilt and realizing like I I done goofed (laughs) like I have to give him this crappy bread that it was too lazy to grind well yeah because I thought it wasn't that big of a deal it's like now this is what I have to present to this person and they're going to judge me and I know that it's not going to end well for me you know like yeah that hesitance that she's taking each step to bring it towards the snake again not so much at the fact that he's a snake but at her own kind of like internal like guilt and realizing how big of a mistake that she made at every possible turn yeah (laughs) that it's like the the bread is very much a representation of the whole situation. Yeah, which I thought was interesting because like... I live my life like I ground this flower. Yeah. Not it's like, caring about the end results. Just wanting to get it done. Symbolically, maybe not even symbolically, but it's like on the surface, the only test that we know of actually for the snake was like, can she cook bread well or not? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he eats the bread, it's crappy bread, you're dead, you know? So that I didn't mean to do like it. It makes it sound like weird. It's crappy bread, you're dead. I, I need to go somewhere in between the two. It's crappy bread, you're dead. But if it's good, then you can be wed. <laughs> <laughs> but... But it's also like, in the more symbolic nature of it, it's like you said, it's symbolic of the whole experience. Like, the, I think it's Michael Jordan that says this. It's like, the way... There's a lot of people that say this, but I know Michael Jordan is the one that I really heard it from. The way you do anything is the way that you do everything. If you give everything your all, like if you give something your all, like the small thing, like, oh, grinding millet to make bread, like you put your soul into it, you know, like that's the way that you live your life. So like on that symbolic level, it's like the way you cook your bread is that, but also like each step along the way, while it may, may or may not, again, it's not really explicitly stated like, oh, this was all a test and all these creatures reported back and told him all these things. But like each piece of advice that she followed, each person that she treated kindly led to advice that ultimately led to her being told, hey, you know, grind the bread really well because that's important, you know? Yeah. But actually didn't the first, she still got that advice, but just ignored it. Probably. She ignored everything. I love it when we have the chance to look at tail types that are so different or have so many really interesting elements. Because the story of Cinderella is one that like that didn't intrigue me because I felt like, oh, I've heard this story before. I've heard the story of Cinderella so much. And there are so many like retellings and remakes like of it that I felt like, you know, this story is so overdone. I had no idea how overdone it was. 
<laughs> um, but it's been, it's so fun looking at like, not just the Cinderella story, but also the different tale types of like, and the different versions of the unkind, kind sister tale type, because they're so vastly different from each other. There's elements that are new and exciting, where, you know, at one point, we have a Cinderella figure that's pulling food to survive out of like a goat's ear or a cow's mm. ear. And it was vomit from a goat from another one. And this time our heroine is getting put in the mouth of like a frog and then spat yeah. out or in this unkind, kind sister's tale, we have, you know, these two sisters that go on this long journey and there's not a kind of trick or anything to it of, you know, the sister giving bad advice so that the other one is herself or, you know, anything like that. I thought this one was so interesting the way that you do go on this, like walking, hiking, travel journey, meeting these different characters. And it's kind of like this, like choose your own adventure story. And then at the end, Uh, (laughs) like getting judged. Unfortunately, the older sister didn't have the opportunity to turn back to page 40 and (laughs) And try again for real. (laughs) So I love that we get to revisit this story at least once a year because it always has something new and exciting and the different flavor that's put on the stories from whatever culture that it's found in is just like so fascinating and intriguing. Next year, we'll be hopping over to another continent and I'm excited to see what the next year has to offer us and the podcast. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible. Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar This is a foot fetish podcast. Uh, This is a fetish podcast? No, not better. Not better? No.